1: Did you
2: know Check checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Bester. In with a shot, he scores! The
1: moments notice. Adamsley. <laughs> I will cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. By, hold my head.
2: Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and down. Wow.
0: Really? We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What our house. Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, snores. female. <laughs>
1: Is that what you need? Don't waste all the good stuff on the off-air. Let's go.
2: Show me
1: Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks conversation brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic, who we just opened a bunch of cards from,
2: Chris. Yes. Um, The new hashtag, obviously, last year was hashtag Hughes Hunting. This year, hashtag Pietro Diving is the better one. I think we're going with that now. So you shut down my YoLevi Jiving? I don't, yeah, I don't like that one bit at all. And, like, the packs that we've opened so far, there has not been a YoLevi Rookie. Very good point. The rookie that you're kind of going for, it seems like, in the 2020-21 packs happens to be Mikey DiPietro, and I pulled two of them right before this. Yeah, but I got Louis
1: Erickson with that a black true. skate. That's jersey.
2: A, honestly, that was like the first card that opened yep. up out of the whole box. That My day was, was cool made. My day was made as yeah. soon as I pulled Louis. Like it's great to pull a Louis Erickson card. he just, you know, brings a smile to your face. It means it's gonna be a good day. But then you see him in the black skate jersey and you're just thinking, oh. you know, six more years. Give me six more years of Louis. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Everybody's thinking it. Everybody's... I've been saying this for years. I think that's what Canucks Twitter is all about right now. They're talking about some Swedish yes, player. I'm speaking, pretty sure it's six more years of Louis is what they're talking about.
1: Speaking of Swedish players with inflated cap hits, let's talk about Oliver ekman Larson. Wow, well, we're Arizona not wasting Coyotes. any time, eh? No, we're jumping right into it because we already started about Swedish players with high cap hits. But let's talk about Oliver ekman Larson because the Vancouver Canucks have been attached to Larson all week. This is because he has submitted a... List of teams he was willing to go to, and two of those teams, I think the main two that everybody's reporting, there's probably more on the list, but the main two that are being targeted right now are the Boston Bruins and the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah,
2: came straight from the beard man's mouth, Elliot Friedman. Dropped the news that, yeah, Boston and Vancouver are the two frontrunners in all of an Larson. Yeah, we're gonna get into this quite a bit, I'm sure. Right now, but this like the initial thoughts. I'm just gonna lay out my thoughts on the on this trade. I don't think there's any universe where both teams are happy with this deal. Why is that? I just don't think that. Okay, so I'm just gonna lay. Okay, we'll get right into it then. Um, so I don't think that the Canucks make this trade without having Louis Erickson in it, and I don't think that. The Arizona Coyotes take Louis Erickson without getting a first and a second round pick. What about if they're sending back Oliver Eckman Larson and taking on Louis Erickson? Okay, what about if they take Brandon Sutter?
1: Because that's that's less for the Canucks, don't get me wrong. Brandon Canucks- Sutter
2: actually, like to that team, Brandon Sutter actually adds value exactly. and probably has value. So exactly. the Canucks will
1: probably have to include him in the deal. And that's what I'm saying, right? Is like it's not great for the Canucks. They'd much rather get rid of the guy with six million dollars on his contract with two years left. Than they would Brandon Sutter, who has one year left at 4.875. Sure, I but it is. then the
2: way that it looks, like you can't not, that's why I'm saying you can't not have Lou Erickson in this deal because you cannot mm-hmm. have Lou Erickson making $6 million, Oliver Eckman Larson making 8.25, and then try and Green sign Hughes, Hughes and, and Pedersen and yep. making their mega deal. You cannot make this trade for Oliver Eckman Larson. Without moving Louis Erickson. So maybe that's to another team. That's gonna cost you picks. That's gonna cost you prospects. Like the the thing that makes sense, and mm-hmm. I don't like this is why I just don't see it happening at all. And we're recording this on Friday afternoon. Who knows? Maybe it'll happen. I don't think <laughs> it'll happen. I'm just I'm pretty confident that this doesn't get done for the Vancouver Canucks. Prove me wrong though, Jim Benning. Make a deal that works for the Vancouver Canucks. But seriously, the way that I look at it, if you were to get Oliver Ekman Larson at something that was like like the Canucks would have they would have to have some sort of retainment from the from the Arizona Coyotes on that deal because the Canucks just can't afford $825
1: dollars I don't think. But they're not going they're not going to retain salary for 7 years. Exactly. Like, like they won't do yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So man, it's it, okay, here's the crazy thing about Ekman Larson. is like he, the first year of his deal just finished. Like they just signed that contract. He's captain of their team they just signed up. Yeah. yeah. Like the ink just drying on that contract and they're trying to get rid of him. It, you know, so that raises some eyebrows in itself. And I need—I
2: think we both agree with that. Well, I definitely say, it. like Oliver Efron Larson is an incredible defenseman. He's a great defenseman. He would make the Canucks' defense much better. He would force Alex Edler to be moved down into third a, a third pairing. You know, making six million dollars, but or potentially he plays with Quinn Hughes. One of them plays the right side. Like he makes the top four very secure. He secures up yep. the top four very. Like we talked about it with Harmon a few weeks ago on this show. We were saying that one of your Levy or Rathbone really needs to hit and be a top four guy for this Vancouver Canucks team to have a competitive defense to be a Stanley Cup contender. You know, Oliver ekman Larson really secures up a top four, especially if he's playing behind Quinn Hughes as a left side guy. Like, like don't get me wrong, he's he's a great defenseman. He, I would love to see him in the Canucks jersey. I just don't see a deal that makes sense for both sides. Like, I don't see them coming to a deal. That's the only thing I see. Unless, like, Arizona could be a tire fire and make a really bad trade. But, like, I just don't see Jim Benning making that deal. I don't see him being able to pull off a a quick one on the Arizona Coyotes and dump Louis Erickson. Like, here's – I'm just going to give my trade idea of it. Like, if I were to see something that would actually happen, it would need, like – and this, like, I don't even like saying it because it feels like an NHL video game (laughs) trade. Because, like, the deal that I see actually making sense – like, that would actually potentially get done would be Louis Erickson, Ole Levy, the Canucks' first-round pick in 2021, the Canucks' second-round pick in 2021, ooh, and Brandon Sutter for Oliver ekman Larson with Oliver ekman Larson retained at 20%. And that just doesn't like, I, like, that is the closest I can see to something being potentially even, and I can't see either team wanting to do that.
1: Well, I think the Canucks would also take another player back. That's the thing. Like, they Arizona would attach something, I'm sure. Maybe, but, they'd like,
2: even at the same time, like, you're if you're giving up Louis Erickson, which you have to do to bring in Oliver Ekman Larson, you're gonna have to pay for that. You see how much his contract is worth. You saw how much Mark mm-hmm. Stones was just worth. Yeah. Right? I mean, that that was 5.7 at one year. This is six million dollars at two years. There's a lot of money on your cap. So yeah. the Canucks are gonna have to attach picks. Do they want to give up a first round pick and a second round pick? Because that's probably the ask. Like you'll levy his value is not enough to even close to get you Oliver Eckman Larson. Yep. You know, and then you look at potentially who else is included in that trade. Like, it just, I just, I don't know. I cannot see it happening. If Jim Benning surprises me this weekend, I would be, you know, I'd be interested to see how he could pull this off. I just, I don't see a way that this could happen. I think it's just rumors, man. Like, it's.
1: Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, and I think you're, I think you're close. Like, I don't think. This is going to be something that we see. If it does, I'd be really interested to see how they make it work because, yeah, like you've just outlined, it's not easy to make this deal work. And I mean, from a positional standpoint, getting Ekman-Larson for next season makes the Canucks better. Make no mistake about it. Like the Canucks are going to be a better team if they get Ekman-Larson next year and probably the year after that too. And I mean, he's having he had a down year. Like I don't know if you looked at some of the analytics or whatever. Like he's not looking great uh, after this season. And you know, then it becomes okay how much of that was because he was playing on Arizona, right? And how much of that was actually because he's not a good defenseman anymore. Um, Are you willing to bet that he's going to continue to decline? Because if you think that's the case, then you don't trade for him. But if you think coming to Vancouver, where there's some more skilled players around him, do you think that's going to bring back 2016, 2017, that era of Ekman Larson, when really he was on one? Like Ekman Larson in 2016 was... Arguably one of the best defensemen in the league. Yeah, absolutely. That's why he earned a seven
2: year deal or eight year deal. It's eight year deal, right? Yeah. So seven left on it. Eight year deal at eight point two five. That's why he earned it from those seasons that he did before. He's he was one of the best defensemen in the league. You know, like he and he would be a great defenseman on the Vancouver Canucks. I just to me it's all it's all rumors, man. You know, and it's it's the Friday right now as we're recording this before the draft. There's I'm I, I thought there'd be some news by now. I thought there would be something coming down the pipe for the Vancouver Canucks by now, but nothing yet. The draft is coming up soon. I I'm in very interested to see what happens. I'm, I'm excited to record an emergency show uh, with you whenever we get to that at some point next week because something's going to come. And if not, we'll do something with the draft. But um, yeah, it, it's it's like we're we're hearing so much from these insiders and people on radio and everybody talking about it that this is going to be a crazy year. It's going to be so many picks and so many trades are going to happen. It's going to be a draft like we've never seen before. And like we haven't seen much at all going up into it, which is kind of surprising me.
1: But that being said, widely reported that Jim Benning's been the busiest GM, calling every GM, leaving no stone unturned, talking to literally everybody he can. That's been reported by a few places now. So while it's nothing that we can report on and nothing that is really significant, all he's doing right now, it seems like he's just calling and trying to make a plan of attack, right? Like the Canucks have a lot of decisions to make. They have a lot of money to get rid of, get off their books. And they've got three big UFAs that they'd like to get signed. So, I mean, it's going to be a big off season. They have until, for people asking, Wednesday, October 7th at 5 p.m. Eastern time to qualify their restrictive free agents. So at, around that time is when we'll find out If Troy Stetcher is going to hit free agency, that's a name that's been tossed around a lot. Same with Jake Vertanen, right? Like these guys that have arbitration rights, the Canucks don't want to go to arbitration with these guys. They don't. Like you cannot pay Jake Vertanen over three and a half million dollars. And I'd say the same for Troy Stetcher. So we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm going to be surprised if both of those guys are not qualified because... Then what leaves you is Adam Gaudet, Tyler Mott, Zach McEwen. And I think there's one other RFA that I'm forgetting about, but those are the significant ones. Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, there might be one more. But yeah, like, I, what's your vibe right now
2: going into it with the three free agents? It, it really... Or unrestricted free agents. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really.
1: I know what you mean. I know what you mean. My, my stance on Jacob Markstrom hasn't changed. And... It's interesting to me because there's rumors that the Canucks are looking to take a goaltender in the third round with their first pick at 82nd overall. And I'm working on something right now for Canucks Army, looking at some of the goaltenders that are going to be available there. There are some good names, Chris, and there are some goaltenders with some really sound positional play and some tools that Ian Clark could really work with. Like, when I when I look at these goaltenders, and I know Ian Clark's the one... If they draft a goaltender, it is because Ian Clark told them to. Like, anybody listening to this podcast needs to understand that, because that's something we know, and that's something we can share with you. Ian Clark is going to be running the show if they grab a goaltender. Like, he knows who they're going to be drafting. He's the one that knows everything about these goaltenders, like... Everything gets run by him as it should. That's a, when we talk about collaborative in the scouting department, that's what you need. You need your goaltending coach who has built the pr- prospect pipeline in Columbus. You need him to do the same for you. So and
2: you'll, you'll hear that later on this episode, by the way, yep. we have guests joining us.
1: Craig Button joins us. Uh, and he talked about that actually a little bit as well. Yep, exactly. And so it interests me, right? Because if they select a goaltender, right? Do you then walk away from Jacob Markstrom, similar to what Columbus did with Bobrovsky?
2: No, I mean, I don't think it's going to matter on what they draft this year. Or Why not Marstrom as much because they have Arthur Sillows and Mikey Pietro players that Ian Clark loves. Both of those guys, sure, already. but you
1: don't know if those guys are going to hit. So now, if you add well, another, you don't guy, really know if the other guys. But any, your your chances improve if you have three goaltenders who Clark's high on. That one of those guys is going to hit. Sure, but do you want to spend your
2: first pick on that guy? Like your first pick in the draft, when you need a lot more prospects in the defense, you have two good prospects in DiPietro and Silves already. You have Thatcher Demko, who's a young goalie. Like it just seems to me, like if you're going out and getting this guy, it's got to be like I being can Clark's see... number
1: one guy. Oh, you
2: know, yeah. It's like and... if Askarov falls to the Canucks of the third pit round.
1: Yeah, and there's another name there too. Um, if if Clark's guy falls, uh, yeah, I, I would be fine with them taking that uh, that player. I'm not It, it just seems strange can't to me they didn't much. draft they didn't draft a defenseman last year.
2: Yes, that's a good point. You know, they, and, I feel like they need to yeah. draft a defenseman with this 3rd round pick. And here's
1: the thing, there's going to be a lot of outrage if they select a goaltender in the 3rd round, okay?
2: I, but at the same time from what you're saying, I don't think there would be. No, because, I think I, there will it, be. Because I, people I would, would not like, put it
1: past Canucks fans to get super mad sure, on Twitter.
2: Some people, yeah, but like people that understand and people that know what Ian Clark is and what Ian Clark does will be like, "Oh, you know, let's let's trust what Ian Clark just did here because and he that's did what a great job with Columbus. Yeah. The and the smart what I'm Canucks fans, know. people, the listeners of Canucks Convo will like it if a goaltender gets drafted. I just don't think, I don't think it's the right move unless it's a guy that they are one hundred percent certain is going to be an NHL starter. You know, like that's and the only. I'm sure
1: way they have it. that guy. I'm hundred percent sure they have that guy. They know there's a guy there that they really like. I'm sure of it. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I don't know. You're in the third round. You're picking what eighty second. 81st yep. because of the... 82nd, 82nd. Isn't there a pick that was lost
1: in the third round? No, it's 82nd.
2: Okay, so 82nd they're picking. Um, Yeah, I mean, like, we talked about this later on in the episode, and we'll get to the interview in just a few minutes here, because it's a great chat with Craig Button. But I asked him, like, do you want to go and take a home run swing in the third round because it is your first round pick, you know? And then how do they go through this with Jim Benning losing his director of amateur scouting with Judd Brackett? And like it's, it's a great conversation with Craig. We'll get to a lot of draft talk here in a second. But I... I think that they should try and take a home run swing on a guy who might be undersized or might be overage but a guy who really projects as a as a high-end defenseman or a high-end scorer. Like I think that that's the way that they should go with their first round pick unless, like I said, unless Ian Clark is banging the table saying this guy will be the starter for the Vancouver Canucks in 6 years, 5 years. He'll be
1: your starter. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that's exactly what needs to happen is it has to be a guy that Clark is sure of. Yeah, like he, like Ian Clark has to say, okay, when this kid's 22
2: years old, he is going to be coming off of a full season of the AHL or maybe two seasons of the AHL where he was the starter. He is ready to make the jump to the NHL. Like that's the only way that I am thinking that they should take a goaltender with that first pick.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Yeah, I think you're right. And I mean, you know, there's a guy that they could take in the fourth round, I think there's a couple. So drew Comesso, I see him going in the third round, like a few, I saw like a few outlets had him going like mid to late third round, early fourth. A lot of
2: outlets have him as the second best goalie in the draft. Yes. Behind yeah. Askarov.
1: Yes. There is a lot of discrepancy there. There is a lot of disagreement that I've seen. So it depends what teams think. If like I'm, I'm doing an article for Canucks army and I'm naming three goaltenders. Uh, on that list. I might do four actually, but Drew Comesso is one of those goaltenders. If he's available in the fourth round and the Canucks didn't select a goaltender in the third round because the other guy they wanted or God, whatever, don't give me. They picked two goalies now in the no, first No, no, no. They're not going to pick. My no, no, mind no, no. Here. I'm saying they Just picked it. Say they pick a defenseman in the third round and Comesso's there in the fourth round. I think they have to go with Comesso if they want a goaltender that badly. But if yeah. that's not their guy, and who knows if it is, right? Like, I'm sure that they have a guy going into this that they are very confident in. It could be Comesso. could be someone else. Um, You know, if he's there in the fourth round, they have to take him.
2: They just have yep. to. Yeah, I think he's a, he's a talented goaltender. And, and picking goaltenders... I think that the interesting ones are when they get picked. Like obviously, any goaltender gets picked in the first round. Very high expectations on him. But even look at Mikey DiPietro's a second round pick or third round pick, actually Mikey Pietro. And I think yep. that you look at these guys and you say, like, you can still get a goalie with a that has a starter potential in the third, fourth, fifth round because goalies, like, if you have a guy like Ian Clark who knows what he's talking about, who's an absolute goaltender guru, then yeah, if he if he's super high on a guy, that's what I'm saying. He's got to be banging the table saying this guy will be a starter. In five years. If he says that about a goaltender, sure. So if the Canucks go out and draft a guy in the third round, am I going to be mad if it's a goaltender? Probably not because, like, are they are they going to be able to find a guy that's for sure going to be a defenseman starter for them in five years? Mm-hmm. Are they going to find a forward who's going to for sure be in their lineup in five years? Probably not. But I would trust a lot in Ian Clark doing it. So I wouldn't be mad, but, like, I don't know. I think they need to get some defensemen. I think they need to add some defensemen that we can follow overseas for the next couple of years um, you know, and something that we can watch because, yeah, what do they have? Brogan Rafferty, Jack Rathbone, olia Levy. Um, you know, you you could throw in some other names in there of defenseman, Jet woo I guess you could throw in there like they have other defensemen, but they need more. Like they need to have more. They need to have players that start to hit and start to be able to turn prospects into players. So, I think defenseman is the way to go with that third round pick. If if there's a guy out there that you like. And I think his last name is Faber. I would pick Brock Faber in the third round pick. I'm telling you right now, if he's there at 82, you're getting a steal with Brock Faber.
1: Something interesting to note, and I know you just want Brock Faber because you want his jersey. I do want his jersey. Okay. Something interesting to note about the goaltender thing is Ian Clark is really well connected in Europe, more so than other people. We've seen him take Latvian goaltenders. We've seen him take Finnish goaltenders. Again, looking at his Columbus days, right? The highest rated... Finnish goaltender, his name's Joel Blomqvist, and this is a guy that I could really see them being interested in. Uh, most outlets have him going late second, early third round, so I mean, again, we don't know who Clark's guy is, but if that's his guy, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's his guy because of the Finnish connection and everything there, you know... the no Latvians in the draft? I actually, I haven't looked like in the really late rounds yet. I've There's been like, looking like third, fourth, fifth round. Siloves in Victoria looked really good. I've said it a lot
2: of times on this podcast, but I just want to say like Arthur Sillows looked really good.
1: And here's the thing I about him. Against NHL shots. Yeah. And here's the thing about him. Like he didn't, he didn't have a great year in Barry. You look at his numbers. It, it reflects that. But here's the thing with him is he is a project goaltender with a ton of upside. Right. And when we look at things that Ian Clark really likes in goaltenders, it's length right? It's like, how how quickly can they move side to side? That's what the NHL is all about now, right? How narrow is their stance? You don't want a goalie with a wide stance. This is something Woodley was preaching on the podcast on Goaltending 101 not too long ago. You know, Soloves is a guy who's really tall and has, is really lanky and really mobile. And those are all traits Clark likes. Now, he's going to have to clean up some stuff on the technical side for sure. And I think that's why you're seeing him struggle a little bit in Barry, but I would not get discouraged about Soloves personally. Uh, so yeah, maybe there is a seven, seventh round Latvian goaltender that they take. But when I look at, you know, the finish and Latvian connection, whatever. And if we're talking about who they would take in the third round, like to me, I've, it's got to be either fist or Comesso. Uh, and then there's a few other ones as well who I'll have in the article. But yeah, like the only, the like main Finnish guy who sticks out is fist So we'll have to wait and see because I'm confident that the Canucks have a guy, that Ian Clark has a guy that he really wants. Uh, who knows? It could be Comesso. It could be fist It could be someone else.
2: Yeah. All right. Let's get off of this goaltender conversation. I could see you smiling from ear to ear here way too much.
1: I love goalies. I love talking about goalies. You know that. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk to Craig Button. And then we're going to come back and talk about... What are we talking about? Drafts a little more. But probably not going to talk all about goaltenders when we come back. You're listening to the Canucks Conversation. Zephyr Epic is Canada's source for sports cards and trading card games. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50... And did I mention that they're the presenting sponsor of this very podcast? Join them for Thursday night breaks at 5 p.m. Pacific every Thursday and be a part of an epic case break experience. Purchase your spot on ZephyrEpic.com or watch the live stream on Twitch.tv slash ZephyrEpic. You can follow them on all social media platforms, including Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at epic. That Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms. Just for Canucks Conversation podcast listeners, you can also save $5 off your purchase with the promo code Convo. Some restrictions apply, but you get free shipping on all orders over $50. Again, follow them on all social media platforms at Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms.
2: All right, guys, joining us now from TSN and the Elite Prospects podcast, Craig Button. Craig, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you, gentlemen? Doing excellent. It's a uh, busy time for us, and it is a perfect time to talk to you. I think with the NHL draft just around the corner.
0: Well, yeah, it's uh, it's an odd time, obviously, with uh, the pause that occurred and uh, the delay in in the draft, which is usually happening in June. But you know, like everything else during this pandemic, we've had to adjust, we've had to adapt, and that will continue forward. But you know, there always is an excitement surrounding the draft. Is You know, it's not only just the young players who are uh, a step closer to realizing their dreams. There's also excitement in the fan bases about who they could get and what type of player they could get and what that player could potentially bring to their team.
1: Absolutely, Craig. And on the topic of adjusting to the times, you know, this is a unique season for a lot of reasons. But for pro scouting departments or sorry, amateur scouting departments, do you think they've had to change their approach in a way, with given the terms of the draft this year? A lot of these players haven't played in a while, and they haven't had as much time to get a good look at these players as they would in years past. Like, How do you think they've adjusted?
0: Well, they've had to adjust, uh, number one. and you, When you consider that every single team is faced with exactly the same circumstances, with respect to... You know, not an opportunity to watch players, you know, as they've, as they've monitored them over the course of the season into their playoffs, into international tournaments, the NCAA tournaments, uh, the combine, you know, the personal interviews. That is something that, uh, every team has had to, uh, face. Now, you know, there's, there's no way to go back and, and rewind the clock and say, okay, you know, we, we can watch them in this situation and replicate, uh, the playoffs. Uh, the interviews, people, teams have been doing these by Zoom because that's what you've had to do. So you try to get as comfortable as you can with not only the players, but also with the information you accumulated up until the pause occurred. So when you ask me about what would teams be doing and, you know, I, I think the number one thing they, they, they had to do and, and and need to do on a going forward basis is evaluate how, their information was gathered to that point in time and, and and not so much about scouting, but, you know, did we have enough information? Did we have the important and pertinent information and, you know, how long did we have it for and how's it going to help us now? And not only that, but how's it going to help us in our further evaluations? I, I think that's critically important. Well, one of my mantras is I don't care when you are watching a player, if you were watching a player and he was 15 or 17 or in the March of, of his draft year, it was an opportunity to evaluate the potential of that player for the NHL. You, you can't waste those opportunities. And I don't think there's any greater example of the importance of that than with this pandemic. We've seen it previously with injuries, yeah. but it's become really significant mm-hmm. because of the pandemic. So that's where they're at the one other unique thing about this draft occurring on October 6th and 7th is that there's been games being played and the Quebec league opens up on Friday, October 2nd and October 4th. You think about Hendricks Lapierre who didn't play since last November. Uh, he's going to have that opportunity uh, to get into game action, regular season game action alongside Dawson Mercer. And so there's going to be a lot of scouts in Chicago watching those two games. There's going to be scouts watching Justin Barron, uh, with the Halifax Moosehead, Jeremy Poirier with the St. John Sea Dogs, Maverick Bork is one of the opponents of Shakutami. Uh, you know, I'm talking about all, about players that all can be in the first round, if not every single one of them. So you know, the scouts are going to have one last glimpse uh, at these players where, I mean, that just doesn't happen in years past. So, you know, there's, you got to be careful about how you weight it, but, there, but there's a different opportunity for NHL scouts that never existed.
2: Yeah, it's an incredibly new situation and a strange one if you look at it. I mean, looking at some of the guys overseas, I mean, the Swedish League started up, the KHL started up. Do you think that there might be somewhat of a recency bias potentially after seeing guys play in the KHL for 10 games or the SHL is at about six regular season games right now? Do you think that some of these European prospects might be a little bit higher because we've actually been able to see them play in what would have been a time, you know, they would have been going into the season after getting drafted. But now you've got a little bit of a sample size to see what an off season gain for them was, if they were able to put on some muscle, and how they kind of stack up in these men's leagues overseas?
0: Well, I think there's uh, there's, there's that opportunity certainly uh, for the evaluation, but but then what you have to do is, is, is consider, okay, amount of time that's passed and, and does it help them, as you point out, with their maturity? Are they able to do some things that maybe they weren't capable of doing and, and, and that you weren't capable of seeing at that point in time? But what I would suggest is you better be really careful about just looking at it on, on, on the most recent viewings. It better build on, on on the on the pocket uh, of information that you have up until that point. Because if all of a sudden you didn't like player A or you didn't like him as much, and now we've had a couple of good games, wherever that may be, and now you're going to say, well, we better get him higher. That's where mistakes happen. So, I really believe whatever evaluations you're doing from this point forward or, you know, since play resumed for for a number of players, it better build on the information you already had. It can't be separate and independent of it.
2: Absolutely, yeah. It's going to be interesting because I feel like some of these guys have come back, and you see some of the sizes on them, and they're like, "Oh, this guy's grown an inch, or this guy's put on this amount of weight." So they could be interesting picks and potentially move up because of that. But I, I'm curious to to get your opinion on this one, Craig, because I think that general managers this year, potentially more than any other one, uh, are going to be relying on their top scouts. You know, their director of amateur scouting. Um, and here in Vancouver, we recently lost Judd Brackett to the Minnesota Wild. Obviously, did a great job in the position that he was in. And I'm wondering how that might affect the Vancouver now going into it specifically, you know, not having a first or a second round pick with the loss of the director of amateur scouting. I feel like that's got to be something that's really going to make it tough uh, for Jim Benning to kind of decide which player they want to go with, with that third round pick.
0: Well, you have a staff and, and and I think it's important to recognize, you know, not only what Judd did, but also part of his job, a significant part of his job is to make sure that the staff functions as a group and functions as a, as a unit. And In the case of Judd departing for the Minnesota Wild, you you have to, uh, you have to believe that he's instilled in the group the opportunity for somebody else to take the lead. It's never about one person. It's about a group. And, you know, that's, that's what, uh, that's what somebody in that position, uh, should be doing. And, 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 I would fully expect that that's what Judd did. And certainly, you know, the experience, the confidence that's gained from being in that position. But, they have other people that, that are part of their scouting group that have been, uh, you know, key decision makers at different times. And it's an opportunity for other people to show that they're capable of being key decision makers. And for Jim Benning, who, who's got a really strong scouting background, I mean, he understands, you know, the, the scope of scouting and understanding, you know, how the evaluation process works. And they've also had the benefit of time. This didn't just happen yesterday, you know. You know, if we're looking at Arizona, you know, Bill Armstrong comes over, and it's a very similar situation. Not similar; it's exactly the same situation as I had when I came to Calgary from Dallas in 2000. I could not participate in the draft. It's the same condition that Bill Armstrong has. I guess, I don't know what the conditions for Daryl Plandowski coming over for Tampa Bay are. I mean, Brian Jankowski, who got hired. After being let go in Buffalo, I can't imagine there's any restrictions on him. So he's got lots of knowledge to help the Arizona Coyotes. So you you know you look Judd going into Minnesota. I mean uh, I mean one of their co-amateur uh, directors left to go to Florida. PJ uh, Fenton. If, if you got a group and and, and you got a system that, uh, of evaluation that's been implemented and that's been followed, yeah, you you know what it's new. But I, I think good organizations manage through that and I don't have any doubt that the Vancouver Canucks are going to uh, come away from this draft uh, doing very well.
2: Absolutely, I mean, hopefully they can just keep up the uh, the good pace that they've had over the past couple of years drafting. And and I I find it so interesting with the Canucks having a third round pick. It's been strange because here in this market, uh, you know, Dave and I both write about the Canucks. We both podcast about the Canucks. Um, a lot of the talk around this time in the past few years has been about that first round pick and who are they going to take with the fifth pick or the seventh pick. But now the Canucks have to wait till the third round. And I'm curious, from a general manager's perspective, Craig, if you were to look at that situation when you come in and that's your first pick in the draft, are you going with a player that you project to be, you know, a, a kind of like a sturdy pick, a safe pick, or are you kind of going for the home run swing on that? Because it is your first pick. So late in the draft.
0: Well, I think it all, it, it always depends. Uh, again, you have to go back to your evaluation. Like, you, you know, there's a big difference between swinging for the fences on a three Oh pitch or an Oh two pitch. So, you know, the, what, what type of pitch are you're going to get? And, you know, so you got to understand the situation, and you know, if a player is there that you that you've evaluated that you really feel strongly about, uh, you know, I, I believe that you you go for the quality of player. You know, if you're looking for just somebody that can play, I I, I think you're, you're you're lowering your expectations, and and I know from Scott, you never want to lower your expectations. You always want to try to get uh you, you know the best player. In, in that particular point of the draft that you possibly can w- with the opportunity, with time and maturity, because obviously that's what's going to be needed when you're picking a player at that point in time to, to grow and mature and become that. I mean, look at Tyler Madden, like Tyler Madden, uh, you, you know, was a, was a, was a pick in that range. You know, Adam did won the Holy Baker award. I mean, he was a pick later on. So, you know, but once given that time, but the qualities that they demonstrate as you're as you're scouting them, those are the things that you always have to keep at the forefront. But given the opportunity to draft a player with greater potential rather than middle potential that you think might be a little bit safer, I don't really know how to answer that. I, I always believe go for the greater potential always.
1: Now, Craig, there's been rumors swirling that the Canucks could be looking at taking a goaltender in the third round. And I've looked at the list of goaltenders and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because it seems like the book's still out, but in your opinion, who's the second best goaltender in this draft?
0: In my opinion, well, I mean, uh, it's, it's always tough to, to narrow it down to, to one player that's uh, the second best goaltender, you know, we, we know that a Scar off at this point in time is, is clearly the best goaltender in this draft. But, I mean, I mean, you can look at it like Will Cranley, who didn't play a lot in Ottawa, but, but played enough to show you a lot of capability. I mean, I think that for goaltenders, you know, when you have your goaltending coach, your goaltending, uh, development group, and, and you have video, that's a real good opportunity uh, to evaluate players that you think ha- have have a real great opportunity uh, to 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 continue to grow in their game. You know Drew Kemesel who played with the National Team Development Program like I think is a is is a really really good goaltender and has lots of potential. But like I think there's there's other goaltenders Devin Levi who was the Canadian Junior Hockey League goaltender of the year. I think he's terrific. Uh, you know, I think that he's got lots of qualities that you would want in a goaltender. He's going to Northeastern University. Comesso going to university. Obviously, Will Cranley uh, is playing in Ottawa in junior. But but their timelines are going to be longer. But they're all goaltenders that I feel have, have real significant potential. But you know, you, you might look at it, and I'm talking about the goaltending development uh, people. you Look at it and go, okay. That player needs a little bit more. That player's a little bit taller. That player's a little bit more athletic. Can we get more out of that goaltender than this goaltender? You know, those are all the different factors that go into it. I- I've named a trio of goaltenders that I think are really good uh, prospects, but you know, there's there's others that are going to be in that in that mix with them. And certainly, if you're looking to draft a goaltender, you know, you got to be looking at at, at who can. Develop the best and, and and the most into an NHL starter. One of the other things we never looked at goaltenders is we're going to draft a backup. We always had the idea that we're going to draft a starter because <laughs> most of the guys you're drafting as starters that don't end up starters end up as backups, and you need backups. But I'm, I'm not looking for a backup either. It goes back to the uh, to the earlier comment about you know trying to hit a home run. I'm not trying to find a second uh, uh, backup goaltender. I'm trying to find a number one.
1: Now, when you look at the prospect pool and you look at the Canucks depth chart, where do you see the biggest need? And do you think the Canucks should be drafting to fill that need at this draft?
0: Well, well, I mean, I think that uh, the distinction here is is when you're looking at your prospect cupboard, you'd like all the shelves to be stocked. You'd like goaltenders, you'd like defensemen, you'd like forwards, and, and, and all those areas. So what I believe is, is when you're going through the draft, it's never about one player or two players. It's a group of players you're looking at. And and hopefully through your evaluations, you you have this group of players and there might be a goaltender there. There might be a defenseman there. There might be a forward there and, and multiple of those positions. And then if you're evaluating the right group and you're, you're going through the assessment of what they can be and where they fit. Right. Again, go, go, go for the player that you think has the greatest potential but if you look at your prospect cupboard and you go, geez, that shelf is a little bit, uh, light on defensemen or that shelf is a little bit light on, on, on right wingers, you know, and, and you got a player in there, th- th- then I think you going to, you, you can go and make that decision based on filling that, uh, that particular part of your prospect group. But I- I'm never a believer that because you have a need or you want more right defensemen, that are, or, or, left wingers or size or whatnot that you force feed it. It's got to fit for that particular point in the draft. And if they don't fit, wait till the next round. Wait till your next pick because there's going to be those opportunities to stop those uh, shells, but that's where you got to do it. So if you ask me where I think they have to look, it's on the blue line. Uh, there's no question in my mind. They got lots of good forwards on their team. They got good prospects in the, in, in the system. I uh, Colson and Hoglander from last year. Colin took some big, significant steps, but but on the blue line is is where I would say uh, they need to, you know, start stocking some of those shelves. And you know, if you if you got a group of players and you got defensemen in there, I would suggest that that's an area that you need to be looking at to select.
2: Yeah, I think we, uh, both agree with you there for sure on that one. And, and Craig, I, I'm curious because like I've heard you talk about this over the years and a lot of these teams have their lists and you know, a lot of these players on this list won't even get picked in the drafts, right? I mean, a lot of these guys in the, in the hundreds at the top of their list are not going to be getting even drafted. So I'm curious to, to get your opinion on this. Like would the Canucks potentially have some players ranked say in their top 30 that might actually be
0: available for them in the third round? Absolutely. Every single team has that. Because if they didn't, how could we ever get to the quote of the draft? (laughs) Oh my lord, we couldn't believe he was there. (laughs) It's always, it's always because you have players rated high. And and again, it speaks to, you know, the, you know, how you rank players, how you rate players, and it's different uh, for everybody. And and what you value in one organization might be different than what you're valuing in another organization. So, you know, I always say this about, you know, I believe every player picked from 21 to 40, 45 could have been a first round pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously the ones 21 to 31 are, but the picks from 32 to 44, 45, because on other teams lists, they very well, those players that went there very well could have been rated uh, you know, as first-round picks, and if they had a pick in that range, it would have taken them there. You know, like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, two years ago in the draft, the 2018 draft, we knew exactly, everybody, and I, when I say we, uh, everybody knew who the first 12 players were going to be selected. Everybody knew. We didn't know exactly what order they were going to go in, but we knew. That was Rasmus, Darlene, Andre, Stetsnikov. And it played out exactly as we thought it would. Now, I can tell you this. Noah Dobson was the twelfth player picked in that draft by the New York Islanders. They went back to back uh, you know, with uh, Oliver Wallstrom and then uh Noah Dobson. Mm-hmm. Now I know, I know, I know for certain that, that there was teams picking much ahead of the uh, of pick twelve that if the guy they did select wasn't there, they would have taken Noah Dobson. So it's not so much that Noah Dobson was twelfth he was in a group of players and teams made a choice on another player and he ended up being uh, available at 12. It was after that pick that it became really interesting. So, you know, Ty DeLandria goes 13th, but Ty DeLandria might've been 29th on another team's list or 35th. And and that is going to be the case every single year in a draft. And, and, and that is, that is a, 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 an absolute reality of the, of the draft evaluation and the, team's individual draft lists.
2: so every every management group's got to feel probably pretty good then coming out of a draft right I mean like it's like oh look at these guys that we got so high on our list uh so late in the draft it probably feels like it's got to be a good (laughs) feeling at the end of every draft I feel like
0: yeah you nailed it and it is you know one of the things that that, that always happens you see teams that trade up because they have a player ranked high and, and whatnot and 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 you want to go after the players you want there's nothing wrong and you, when you're a manager and and, and your scouts have, have done the work and they really want a player and 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 you think there's a reasonable way to to trade up to get a higher pick so that they can be satisfied I think that that's always a, a really positive for your, for your group because you want scouts that say we want this guy we want this guy mm-hmm. but conversely you also have to be able to to, to read the draft and understand, okay, do we have to trade up or do we have a legitimate chance to get this guy in this spot? And so there, the, and, and when you ask me about, uh, the Vancouver Canucks, that's one of the areas that with experience is, is something that you, you garner. And, and so Judd, having been through it with the Vancouver Canucks, might have a little bit of better of a feel. Somebody new might not be feeling the same way with respect to, Relax, we're going to get that guy. Or, oh, geez, we have to get this guy. You know, that's where the experience factor may come in. I don't think it'll affect their evaluation of their list, but, but that could be an area where, you know, a lack of, of experience in that regard, you know, could could get you a little bit eager, uh, you know, beyond what you may have to do. But if, but again, if you want a player, I've always believed, go get them. Don't Don't wait hoping. And if you you want your scouts to to be assertive and you know pounding their fist on the table, I we need to get this guy. Mm-hmm. I love that,
2: <laughs> love it too. And I wonder if if what you meant like player, you know, teams waiting for a player to land with them. It seemed like. You know, from specifically what we've seen over the past few months here with Vasily Podkolzin, I mean, he was a guy that I know you had ranked pretty much number three throughout almost the whole year is what it felt like uh, going into the 2019 draft. And I think a lot of people were worried about him with the situation that we saw in Russia. And early on in the season, uh, when he's playing for Ska over there, he was getting low minutes, you know, seven, eight minutes a game. Uh, Then obviously they had the COVID outbreak throughout their team. Half the team gets taken out. And then we see Podkolzin Uh, earlier this morning. I was up at 2 a.m. watching him play. Gets twenty minutes of ice time in a game like that um, for the Canucks, and I guess like the whole situation with Pod Colson, Do you think that was the main reason that he fell to number ten? Was it the Russian situation?
0: I don't think so. I, I really don't. And I, you know, you want your players uh, to be in a situation where they can play and they can grow. You, you know, he had a contract. You know, some teams feel that they they want their players, you know, under their their guiding hand sooner rather than later. Other teams aren't as concerned about it. But when I talk about groups of players, you know, you can make that distinction at that point in the draft. You can say, okay, we're looking at this player. We can get him under our guiding hand. He doesn't have a contract in Russia. We can have him sooner rather than later. But if you're evaluating players that aren't equal in potential, and nothing's ever equal, you know, you, but, but, but they're in the same group of, of prospects, then he can make the decision based on that. And, and and perhaps it did. But, you know, again, I don't think Vasili uh, was evaluated because he's not a good prospect. And, you know, let's keep in mind, too, he, he, he's he's going to be a really good player. And the KHL, Scott specifically, they, it, it, it's a conundrum. It's a conundrum for team. It's a conundrum for player. It's a conundrum for the team that drafted on Vancouver. It's a conundrum for the agent. You know, you want him to develop. He's too good for the MHL, but maybe not quite good enough for a team that's a professional league that's, you know, got lots of uh, high-paid players and their expectation is to win. You know, fans get upset. They want to see him playing more. The agent wants to see him playing more. Jim Benny wants to see him playing more. But, you know, I, I, I think these are some of the vagaries of development, and and they're different everywhere. Uh, and, and, and so – you need to spend the time. You need to understand that he's still a really good player. I know Eager Larry Onoff went in to talk to, uh, Scott, the Larry Brygan, uh, who was the head coach of the world junior team for a number of years, who knows Vasily very well. is going to coach it this coming year. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he, he knows he's going to need Vasily Podkolzen for 20 minutes a night. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> right? So, so Eager's got a vested interest in this too. And I think that, The beauty of Eager is that he can go in there and sit down with the group and say, okay, listen, we're not asking you to give him, you know, everything. He's got to earn everything, but give him the opportunity that I think that where teams, players get frustrated, agents get frustrated is. When it's predetermined and the opportunity isn't given to them, yeah. and if they if they can't do it, that's fine. But let's see if they can before they, we say that they may not be quite ready. I I think that's that's one of the things you're always trying to assess. I think that's
2: the thing that a lot of Canucks fans are having problems with right now because we're seeing the possession numbers come out. as something that I've been tracking quite a bit. You know, we're seeing him control the puck a ton when he was playing on the fourth line with Marchenko and Morozov over there in Ska. Uh, they did not get scored on when that line was playing together. They were, you know, Colson seemed like he was giving 110% effort. He was having short shifts. Like, it seemed like he was doing everything right. And we kind of heard reports that Colson um, did turn down a five-year extension with Ska, I guess, in the offseason of last year I believe and I'm wondering like would that be something that comes down for the organization or is that just pie in the sky thinking for Canucks fans like is the organization holding back Pod Colson from potentially moving his way up the lineup or is it simply because maybe he just actually isn't ready because from watching him Craig like he looks like one of the most dominant players on that team he's all over on the four check he's bringing the puck in he's gaining the offensive zone better than I'm seeing a lot of these other wingers that are getting top six opportunities so I'm curious like is is that something that maybe a team specifically like Scott? who has had so many veterans and is known for playing their veterans over these guys, is that kind of just the organization set up for a Russian player like Pod Colson who, who kind of, like you said, all they want is an opportunity, right? That's all we want to see for Pod Colson get an opportunity to play in the top six. And it just feels like to me that the organization might be the thing that's holding him back.
0: Well, and, 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 and I certainly can't dismiss that. And uh, I will share a story that, that Ken Hitchcock told us in Dallas. You know, we we were having this discussion one year. Uh, I don't know if it's a training camp or sometime during the season. We got talking about the young players, and Ken was great. He said, "If you want me to play the young players, he says, don't give me experience. Your older players." <laughs> <laughs> and but, but but he went deeper than that, and 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 I think that this is really the the, the funny part was the first comment, but I think this is the real thing. And, and he, he, he expressed it in this way. He said. The older, experienced player is predictable. You know exactly what you're getting. And part of the uh, issues, and maybe issue is the wrong rule, but part of the acceptance of young players is that, you know, one of the things they can be really consistent at is inconsistency. And when coaches don't feel that they can, you know, have that certainty in their lineup, they become a little bit more hesitant to use them. And that's how Ken expressed it. And I thought he expressed it exceptionally well. Yeah. And that's, But that's where I, I think having Eager go in there and talk to them and say, hey, listen, you know what? Let's try it. Because the one thing I will guarantee anybody on this planet, and specifically Vancouver Canucks fans, Vasili Paul Coleson will never give less than 100%. He is wired to compete. He is wired to give everything he has at every moment in the game. Oh, yeah. and, and that's a special quality that Vasily has. But but for eager now to be able to go in and say, hey, listen, you know what? Give them And at, at the same time, you got to say to Vasily, hey, listen, y- y- you're going to have to be consistent here. The coach needs to see consistency from you. I remember Jamie Lagenbrunner in Dallas. He was playing down in Kalamazoo, and he wasn't doing a very good job. I think he was a really good player, don't get me wrong, but he wasn't doing a very good job of, of of taking passes and he was being loose with the puck and oh, well, and when you're good and you have the puck all the time and when you do, you know, you're going to get it back pretty quick Mm -hmm. at the national hockey league level. You're not. And I remember saying to Jamie, I said, you better get a lot stronger with that puck because if you don't get stronger here, you're not going to get an opportunity at national league level because the puck at the national hockey league level, is like a gold brick. You got to treat it with everything and protect it with everything you have. And Jamie, he, he dialed right into it, and you know he, he obviously went on to have a fantastic NHL career. And, and I think the the same way, but, but but how you impress upon them the things that are necessary for them to to, to to earn the trust of the coach, especially when you're a young player, and then to continue to build on your opportunities. It, it's a two way street, but what you express exists. So make no mistake about it; it exists. And when you're talking about the KHL or the NHL, you know. Bottom line is, you know, the coaches need to know what they're putting out on the ice. And, 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 and it might not be potential wise as good as what a young player is going to offer eventually, but they, at least they know exactly what they're getting shift to shift. And that becomes important from a coaching point of view.
1: Mm-hmm. Now on the other end of that spectrum, there's Nils Hoglander, and you know he's playing top six minutes in Sweden. When you look at these two top prospects for the Canucks, do you think either of them or both of them are close to being NHL ready?
0: I think they could play in the NHL both of them right now. and wow. I'm not, I'm not one, I'm not one to push players quicker into the NHL uh, than they're deemed uh, ready to be, but. Nils is older. I mean, obviously he's got the late birthday, so he's 20 years old. He's played in the SHL. So the way he skates, the way he competes, and you know, one of the things with Nils is, I mean, he's dialed in. He's dialed in and he wants to make a difference in the game and that speed is disruptive. It's a real, it can be, he can be a real catalyst for turnovers and, making opponents really uneasy, and he can play with good players. And Vasily, the same way. You're talking about his puck possession numbers and how strong he is. And th- that's his game. And and he will be no less different in the National Hockey League than he is now playing uh, for Scott. And the the other factor with those two players, and the reason I say that they could play in the NHL right now where they could play for the Canucks, they're not going to ask those players to do more than they can. They have a a really good supporting cast around them. They have superstars in in Elias Pedersen and and Quinn Hughes, emerging superstar in Quinn Hughes. So they they have the support around them. We're not asking them to do uh, uh, more than they might be capable of. But based on what I've seen from both those players, like I think they could help the Vancouver Canucks right this second.
2: Absolutely. And it, you know, we had Nils Hoglander on the show last week, actually, as well. Great conversation with him. And, and one of the things that kind of came out of that conversation was the growing interest from his camp, his agent, and him um, that they would be interested in making it over here to North America and staying over here. Even if he wasn't going to make the Vancouver Canucks team, um, he would be willing to do some more time in the AHL, play for the Utica Comets. Because if an injury were to occur, and you look at that Utica Comets roster for the Vancouver Canucks minor league team, he would be the top guy to come up as a winger. He automatically gets there on that Utica team, and he would probably be above the depth charts of guys like Cole Lind or Jonah Gajewicz or, you know, some other wingers that could potentially be on that Comets team. So is that something that, I guess, like, it's a conversation that I've been wanting to have with you for a long time about the AHL, does does the AHL season worry you a lot going into it right now, Craig? Because really, there has not been a lot of news for a league that's going to be very crucial for the Vancouver Canucks and some of these young guys like Cole Lynn, Gajewicz, and now potentially Niels Huglander.
0: No, well, no question about it. Well, that's a, and and that's the reason why we see so many of uh, of the players uh, playing in Europe that are that are that would be playing in the AHL if they if the AHL season was starting, but. The NHL season isn't. I mean, it's not going to start anytime soon. They're trying to coincide it with the uh, at the beginning of the NHL season, which nobody knows when it's going to start. Mm-hmm. But but it has a significant. It's going to have a significant effect on on development. And as you point out, like you know, for for, for, for Cole Lind, let's take Cole Lind, who is who, who really made I, I thought tr- terrific steps forward last year playing in the American Hockey League. You know now. He, he, he doesn't have that same opportunity to continue to build on that. And, you know, so, so, so it's going to impact development and it's going to impact where players, uh, you know, are, are going to be ready to come in. And, and I think it also goes back to, let, let's just, I'm going to pick a date, January 10th. Let's just say the NHL season starts on January 10th. So that means there's going to be a training camp there. You have players that haven't played for a long period of time. You're not really sure well, if you're Travis Green and and you're looking at players that you have available to you, are you going with the player that you know exactly what you're getting or you're going with the player who you might give you a little bit more but you're not sure.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to know,
0: yeah. Well, you have to. Like 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 I would never fault a coach for for doing that because because I think in a in the potential of a compressed schedule, I mean that that's where the coaches have to be and they don't have the development. This was pointed out to me at the be with the beginning of the NFL season, and I, I thought it was. And as I've gone and done some of the work on it, I thought it was fascinating. Teams that made coaching, uh, significant coaching changes in the off season, they have really struggled because they haven't had the time to implement, uh, you know, their their playbooks. They haven't had a chance to implement their strategies and evaluate the players, and really, really struggling. If you if you look at it and I think that that's another factor that comes into play, you know, for the, for the NHL teams without the benefit of, of these players continuing their development. That's natural. And, 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 you know, players missed, you know, that opportunity even last March and April, not only in the American Hockey League playoffs, but for, for teams that were out of the playoffs, you know, a lot of times those players get, you know, their 10 games to come up and play and, and then they know exactly Oh boy, I got to do more of this in the summer. I got to be better. I got to improve in this area, and it gives you a really good barometer on not only where you're at, but also what you need to do. That's been missed too.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a. I just I'm just worried. I guess in certain situations to see what it would be like. Could could these AHL guys potentially just be in limbo? Like, is that something that we could see, or do you think that they might have like a black aces like they've had in the playoffs potentially?
0: Well, he, here's what I would say is I think that they have to be open to those types of uh, scenarios because y- you also have to deal with injuries. So mm. y- you're talking about in the playoffs. Now, the playoffs, are you can have as many players in-, in the playoffs on your roster as you want. That's always been the case. This year, they limited the number because of you know the testing and they wanted a very defined uh, group of players in-, in the bubble. But, you know, the 23-man roster – if you're coming back into a compressed schedule without players that have played and really got themselves in, in position uh to, to go through the rigors of a compressed schedule, 23 players ain't going to cut it with, with no a- a- AHL. So, yeah, your concerns are legitimate, and, and, and they're the concerns of all 31 teams.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I can see where that's going, and yeah, it's uh it's definitely concerning us right now a little bit. Uh, just looking at it, and Craig, we appreciate your time. Love having you on the show. Um, and I quickly wanted to finish with one final question about the Elite Prospects podcast. Uh, you are co-hosting alongside a friend of ours, uh, JD Burke. And how's the bit, How's the podcast been going so far? Because the guests that you guys are lining up has been awesome, and listening to some of these conversations have been really a lot of fun.
0: Well, well I'm glad to hear that. I mean, the feedback has been positive, and. I mean, JD is passionate, and you know, I've had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with JD over the last few years, you know, in, in the ranks and talking to him, and you know, this has been a this has been a nice uh, uh, situation for me to be part of because I know JD is is informed, he, he's dedicated, and you know, it's always good to be able to talk about different aspects of, of scouting and prospects and development that. Not only I think can hopefully be instructive, and 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 other people outside of 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 hockey can can understand and read it, but it also becomes really helpful for me to consider oh different ideas or this happened or that happened, and oh yeah I didn't think about that. Mm. So I I find it really really uh, informative. And again, when you're when you're on with somebody. Uh, that is dedicated and really works at it and puts in a tremendous amount of effort, you know, it's something that I'm very thrilled to be part of.
2: Absolutely. And we know JD is a huge fan of the bolo tie. I'm wondering, has he uh, connected you with his bolo tie yet? Has he gotten you hooked up with
0: that? I live in (laughs) Cowzie. I love the Stampede. So JD wants to come and show off his bolo tie. He's going to have to put on a cowboy hat, put on his boots (laughs) and come on out here to the Stampede.
2: That is awesome. I can't wait to see the pictures from that, Craig. You taking JB out to the Stampede.
0: Yeah. How, what kind of hat do you think we're going to get? One of those 10-gallon hats? Because that's the kind of hat he's going to have to wear to get that hairdo under it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that and the big head, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> wow.
2: All right. Well, Craig, we really appreciate you joining us here. Always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. <laughs> Hope you have a good rest of the weekend and enjoy the festivities of the NHL draft, even if it might be virtually
1: this year.
0: Yeah, we will. And thanks for having me. I always enjoy chatting with you guys. Thanks, Craig. Thanks.
1: And a huge thank you to Craig Button of TSN and the Elite Prospects Podcast for joining us. Chris, I, I got a little off track in the first half of the episode, so I apologize for that.
2: You did. You t- you took a lashing here at the break as we took a break here. Too much goalie talk. Too much. St- I know you love goalies. I know you want to talk goalies, but I asked you what you thought about Jacob Markstrom and if you thought the Canucks would sign him, and somehow we went down a road of talking about the Canucks are drafting a goaltender in the third round for 10 minutes. So I will ask you again, as I'm not even the host this week as well, I just want you to know, but what do you think the situation is with a guy like Jacob Markstrom for the Vancouver Canucks right now?
1: Well, I like I said, I do maintain that I think they're going to try very hard to re-sign him, and I don't think they're ill advised in doing so. I think that's a good idea. Uh I really, he makes them better next season. There's no really way of going around it. Like he's the more proven commodity between him and Demko. Uh I think the Canucks are more confident in Jacob Markstrom, as they should be. Like I said, man, like I've said it all year. He's he played like a top two goaltender in the league when you look at the advanced analytics and When we look at that, right, it's just you understand that they started to play defense for Thatcher Demko, and he played well against Vegas. It was awesome. But then again, you also understand that while everything Demko's shown shows that he can be a a starter, Jacob Markstrom's shown time and time again that he can be an elite starter, but more importantly, that he can be an elite starter behind a weak defense, Right, yeah. like the Canucks were a bottom five defensive team this year, and Jacob Markstrom was able to get them into the playoffs. Like that was a, a huge part of it. Was Markstrom? Like we talk about MVP, right? Like everybody thinks he's the MVP. I maintain it was Lewis Patterson, but that's a whole other conversation. But without Jacob Markstrom and without Elias Patterson, either or take your pick, there's no way the Canucks are making the playoffs. Yeah, totally. And I think that that's that's the way
2: I look at it, though. Like if you sign Jacob Markstrom there for a you know good money he's going to make probably he's going to i'd say over five for sure he's going to make over five on probably a four-year deal i'm more of in the boat right now of letting him go to free agency letting him see what's out there if all these offers that we've heard rumors about are potentially true of jacob marstrom signing a five-year deal worth six million dollars or somewhere with 5.5 million dollars i'm sorry but the canucks can't keep up with that like the canucks need to i don't think they can pay more than five million dollars yeah, unfortunately, it's an interesting year with the flat cap and COVID going on. Like it's it's strange, but if you sign Jacob Markstrom, the team in front of Jacob Markstrom actually gets worse next year. Like you can't hmm. go out. You're losing Chris Tanev probably, so, or you're losing Tyler Toffoli. Yeah. The team gets worse in front of Jacob Markstrom if you sign him. So do you want the team to maybe get better in front of Thatcher Demko and potentially a guy like, you know, Henrik
1: Lundqvist potentially? Much, I'm I'm high how much, on the Lundqvist. How much are you signing Henrik Lundqvist for?
2: I'm guessing Lundqvist
1: would come in at. Three million dollars on a one year deal. Okay, so how much of a difference is that for next year only? Two million uh, you're yeah, looking I'd at say two million. Two, two and a half. How much are you gonna be able to improve the Canucks defense with two million dollars? Well I think that you are gonna be able to add a whole player. Like not even
2: like you're gonna be able to add a player to the bottom six or a guy into the bottom pairing or a guy that potentially get time in the you know second pairing as well for two million dollars.
1: A second pairing defenseman for two million dollars? On the
2: Vancouver Canucks, potentially, yeah. Uh, Who in a COVID year? And like, a
1: strange free agent. Trinac's going to get $4 million if they yeah. offer sheet him, right? So, I mean, it helps you, sure. It helps you be able to do that, to pull that off by offer sheeting. So, I agree with you there. But again, like... Is the $2 million really? Like, I I know things are tight, and I know that's one part of the situation, too. But look at what happened. There's like, he's going to want a no
2: move clause. So then you're basically screwing yourself with Thatcher Demko and Jacob Martin. You're basically kissing Thatcher Demko goodbye after next year. Yeah, he's going to ask for a trade. He's going to ask for a trade trade potentially this offseason. If not, he's going to expansion. You know, like, he's the Vegas Knights will pick him. He's the best option for them to pick. That's why I'm just, I'm more in the camp now of like, I, I think it's Demko time, man. I really do. I think it's Demko time. I think you get a guy who can play with Demko for 2 to $3 million. You know, does does Lundqvist even come in at three? Like, is that too high? Like, he could be 2.5. He's a guy who, who knows barely played man. last year, I think he's going right? to retire. I, first of all, I think he's going to retire. Yeah, yeah. I guess, like, looking at guys that are in a similar spot, I just feel like, you know, with the Swedish connection in Vancouver, Henrik Lundqvist seeing what's going cool. on over here. You know, if like, they get
1: Ekman Larsen. <laughs> oh, man.
2: Yeah, if they get Ekman Larson. I, I think I saw somebody tweet, like, they changed the jersey, or they changed the green in the Canucks jerseys to yellow, and it was just like after they get Lundqvist and Oliver I Ekman-Larsson, it's just basically like a Sweden jersey, which would uh, be hilarious. But yeah, like I, I think the more and more I look at it, I know it's a risk to go to Thatcher Demko compared to what it yep. is with Jacob Markstrom, but you're really losing an asset. You know, but then again, like I guess you're losing an asset for nothing if you let Jacob Markstrom walk too, but. Yep. You're you're losing a younger asset
1: with very high end potential. If you if you end up just but, losing Thatcher Demko, but what if they go into next season? Right now, hear me out because I know I know it's such a crazy situation. Right, and who would have thought we'd be talking about this in September? But they go into next season with Thatcher Demko and Jacob Markstrom. Right, they go to the expansion draft and they leave Jacob Markstrom unprotected. They find a way to not give him a full no movement clause in that year, and yeah. it's going to be tough. It's not with Markstrom's
2: tough. agent. He won't let that happen.
1: Okay, then Markstrom's going to have to walk at that point, right? Yeah. And that's that's what what it becomes because you don't want to lose Thatcher Demko in all of this. Like, yeah. that's that's I, not the plan here. I don't even know if this is, like, a hot take anymore, especially because we're
2: getting to the end, but, like, I don't think Tanev's back, and I don't think Markstrom's back. I think they have money in free and agency, and they're going to get the contracts that they want. In free agency, when the Canucks just can't give them the contracts
1: that they want, I dude. Think. If, if Pittsburgh's offering ten at five point five or yeah, five I don't by know, five,
2: Pittsburgh went out and made the trade. There's
1: yeah, there's oh, no man. way Pittsburgh that defense man. <laughs> no, don't
2: even get Jim it Rutherford. Oh my goodness, Jimmy uh, Rutherford. Jim Rutherford making Jimbo look even much better here in Vancouver. Jet That's black, why he got Jim, sixth baby. in uh, sixth in GM of the year. Yeah, man. For sure,
1: guy knows what he's doing. So Jim we'll Rutherford. See. We have to see if he's considered dyeing his hair jet black. Because that's what gives Jim Benning his power. So everybody knows that. Yeah, it's true. I In the past, I've dyed my beard jet black before. Wow. I need to see yeah. photos of that. But we have a, we have Zoom calls coming up soon. Well, I do. I'll send you a, I'll send you the invite. I'll talk oh, to Canucks PR, see if I can get you on there, Maybe too. Maybe I'll talk to PR. PR got, likes me. That's true. They PR likes li- me, they too. Yeah, right. PR they don't even let you ask
2: too. a question yes, in the Zoom meeting. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. You sit there with your hand raised for 20 minutes. and so You no, don't even no. get a question in. No,
1: no. That's not how things go. anyway. Anyway. Uh, yeah, we have Jim Benning on Monday. Yes, like pre-draft. And then Tuesday, we have nothing unless something happens. So it's it, that's what it says. It's like unless uh, required or whatever. So if they like trade into the first round or whatever, keeping the window open. Uh, And then the second day, we have to talk to each prospect is going to be coming on. So uh, you can raise your hand and be like, hey, can you come on Canucks Conversation? I'm going to
2: push hard. I I don't want to say I can... Like, I'm not going to guarantee it, but I'm going to try real hard. Yeah, we don't hard. even know who the prospects are. I'm going to try real hard next week to have one of the Canucks draft picks uh, on the show. Um, yeah. You know, get my fingers to work on the phones and talk to some agents and see what we yeah. can do. Uh, yeah. To make that happen, I hope that we can do that next week on the show. That's going to be a tough, like, don't we get some incredible guests, like we had with Craig Button earlier on the show. So we'll see how it goes. I'm going to get to work. It's going to be hard because now it's like these new people I've never talked to before, no relationships with. But hopefully we can get a couple of them on because last year was a lot of fun talking to you know, multiple guys right after they got drafted. Ada McDonough was a great chat right after he got drafted. Um, so, yeah, like, we'll, we'll see what we can do uh, moving forward. And hopefully we have a good ne- week next week. But, yeah, I, that's where I'm sitting on the UFAs right now, which is what we talked about in the first 20 minutes of the show before we got distracted. Sorry, But um, I I think that Toffoli's back. I think Tanev's gone, and I think Markstrom's gone. And I think that Markstrom leaving is something that – I think Canucks fans are starting to come to grip with like mm-hmm. they're saying, like, you know, this is potentially going to happen. It's still going to be a big time shocker when yep, he does, does. Right. You know, like it's going to be interesting to see what happens if the Canucks go out and sign another goaltender, or maybe they let him go to free agency and maybe he comes back. Maybe it's a Steven Stamkos situation, you know, where he goes out and sees what's out there on the market. And it's like, okay, is the money worth it enough? Or do I want to go back to Vancouver? But the, no, the no move is, is something that he's going to want at his age. Uh, at this contract that he's signing, being the last big one of his career, I feel like he needs to have control of everything on that deal. At his age and the situation that he's in, so I don't see I don't see the Canucks getting it done without that, specifically with with a power agent that Jacob Markstrom yep. has. So, yeah, I, I'm kind of coming to grips right now with it that I, I do think Jacob Markstrom is going to be on a different team next year.
1: We'll have to wait and see. We should know by like next week. I think we're
2: saying this on the show. Like we're like, waiting. so here's the big week. It's the
1: calm before the storm. We
2: thought this was going to be the week. Like we thought that there was even today. Like I'm scared because we're we're recording this on Friday. It's four o'clock right now. Watch like, you know, like I don't, it's almost good that we're recording because the way that life works, man, you know, you go out and do something and you're like, Oh, we should maybe wait. We were going to record this like late Friday night. But now that we're recording at four o'clock, You guys are welcome if a deal happens, because we made it happen because we're recording (laughs) it for, because it's going to make this show dated big time when I say that there's no way that Canucks can sign Oliver Ekman Larson, and then they probably trade for him in like 30 minutes (laughs) when we finish recording here.
1: Well, I mean, it works. I think that's enough Canucks talk. Now, why don't you talk about some prospects to close out the week? Prospects talk, man. So I've been up since 2 a.m. Ugh. I got about an hour
2: and a half of sleep and ended up watching Triamkin uh, at seven. Then I went to a journalism class, came here. I am ty- I don't know how I'm actually even functioning at this point. I cannot wait to go home, eat a bunch of food, and go to sleep. That is what my night's going to consist of. So let's get started with Triamkin. Triamkin played over 20 minutes of ice time today. Let's go. He played a ton of time on the penalty kill, played a ton of time on the power play. But I wouldn't say he was very impactful in the full game. Hmm. These extended minutes are showing that maybe there is some work that Pod Colson has to do. He looks excellent in a six, seven minute game of ice time that he's playing, but he doesn't, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's something with the, like, I don't want to start blaming it on other situations because that seems strange. And that's something that Craig talked about actually in the interview, but like,
1: wait, wait you said Tramkin Are you talking about, Pod oh, Colson? Sorry, I'm
2: talking about Pod Colson. Oh, I've been up since 2am. Like I said, okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. You said Triamkin.
2: Okay. I'm talking Pod Colson here. Okay. He played over 20 minutes. He was on the shorthand, he was on the power play, doing all this stuff. And it's like, he's not, like, he's still giving 100% on the ice. His forecheck's still really strong. He's still driving to the net. But, like, I was expecting him to have a little bit more scoring chances, you know, a little bit more finish to his game. He had two assists, obviously, in his game before this one. But I, I just think that, you know, maybe the coaches were right about something in Russia. I know that I've been on the free pods movement. Maybe he needs to be at twelve minutes a game instead of mm. seventeen or twenty. Maybe he isn't ready to play in the KHL at this level, you know, with twenty minutes a game. But I think that him in a in a smaller role, getting some time on the penalty, he looked. That's where he th- like he was thriving in the game today on the penalty kill. He started out as like the third pairing out there killing group. Like he was out there killing penalties as like the third pairing forwards that went out. Worked his way up to being like the first like. When a penalty was taken, he was the first one over the boards. He was killing penalties. He was excellent at killing penalties, clearing the puck, blocking shots. That's what this kid's all about. But I think that when you see 20 minutes of ice time, you're expecting scoring chances from a guy who's playing in the top six now for SKA. And he's just, you're not really getting a ton of that, um, which is unfortunate. Like, there's a winger on this team, number 86, who was all over the ice and setting up plays. And it just felt like Pod Colson was out of sync. Like, he wasn't... Hmm. He wasn't going to the net at the right time when he needed to. He, he There were certain times where he was kind of just floating a little bit. And it's like, all this ice time is great, but he's he's got to be able to step up and, and be consistent in his play. In it. And I know that he's very consistent when he's playing six to ten minutes. But 20 minutes is a lot of ice time. It's a lot of time in the offensive zone. I did like to see that Vasily Pod led his team in time on attack today. Like out of every single player in the whole game, not only his team, the other team. In time on attack, he led the team in that, which is great, over 30 seconds more than the second place. So uh, it wasn't a bad game, but it's like, when you get the 20 minutes, I guess my expectations are pretty high, I guess, going into hmm. Pod Colson. Because I've been praising him for a long time, I think that he should get more than seven, eight minutes a game. Yep. But maybe he shouldn't be getting 20. Or maybe he shouldn't be getting 17. You know, like maybe the, the sweet spot for him, I feel like right now, is is something like 12 to
1: 13 minutes. That's when you see him be so impactful in a game. And that's interesting because Craig said both Hoaglander and Pod Colson could play in the NHL right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah.
2: And then the other one I'll, I'll talk about, uh, Nikita Triamkin, um watched him again today like I'm impressed again I was impressed again by Nikita Triamkin I, I thought he moved the puck well he skated well he he was excellent on the penalty kill and like the things that I was seeing him do last year where he would just his outlet passes would just end up turning into icing calls mm-hmm. the same thing we saw at the NHL level with him Iced the puck so many times his passes are getting a lot better like they're they're not like I don't know if you noticed this when Triamkin played in Vancouver but even if he was doing like a D to D pass in his own zone, it was so freaking hard. Yeah. Like he would just like rocket the puck yep. when you're so close to people. He's got some more touch, it seems like, on some of his passes right now, which is good. So I think that there is improvement. And we didn't see improvement last year in Nikki the Tram can season the KHL. This year there is improvement to see, which is great. He's playing a ton of minutes. Oh yeah. Um lots of time today. I think twenty three thirty-four he played uh in Friday's game. So uh yeah, I mean a good showing for him. We got some Huglander stuff coming up this weekend. Um, Huglander didn't get a point in his game this week, but uh, more to come on the weekend. So that's my prospects report for this week. Not a lot of
1: good news to report, but except for Triumph and trying again. That's nice to hear. Yeah. Triumph no. is actually putting in effort. He is. That's and fun.
2: Like you you see him every time he's on the ice. He skates extremely well for a guy his size. Like he really does skate well for a guy his size. Can he bring that to the NHL level? I guess we'll just have to see, but like it's everything that's coming out that I've seen right now. It's it's got to get some praise because we've dumped on him for a long time. But when he is doing something and performing, like we should shut him up for that too. So he he's been good. Like he's been really good to start this KHL season so far. I want to leave it at that.
1: Good. Cool. Good to know. We got to have him on the podcast. Working on it. Working on it. No leads yet, but I'm working on it. No I have sent some emails. We're practicing our Russian. Yeah. So we can talk to Pot Coltson too. Without, could you imagine if we're on the Zoom call and his translators on, and we just like start busting out Russian? You know what? I'll uh, I'll say this to
2: the people that are listening. I did reach out to Louis Domingue uh, to get Louis Louis Domingue on the show potentially in the future. Talk to him. You know, it'd be cool to get his baking stories, some stories from the bubble. Yeah. And I was going to, I was gonna write it in French because, like, I speak French, right? So, wow. like, I was gonna write it in French. Send him and a voice I was like, message. Nah, because like all of his Instagrams all in French, right? So I was like, ah, he's doing all this French stuff, maybe. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe I'll save it for those. If he does come on do, the show, talk a little French to him at the start. Do we'll uh,
1: Do, like, you know how the government in Canada, when they make Instagram posts, it's like English, then French? You just mm. send him another message with French. Just uh, yeah. do that.
2: We'll see. Maybe if he doesn't answer the English one, I'll try in French and maybe do that'll it. get it.
1: Done. Oh, my gosh. That'd be the funniest thing ever. Oh, man. I'd love that. All right. All right well, I'm done. Yeah, I think that was a great episode, Chris. This is episode 107 of the Canucks Conversation pre-draft edition. For Chris Faber,
0: my name is David Quadrelli. You've been listening to the Canucks Conversation. Hello, thank you for calling Thomas Drance.